I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. How many of you are familiar with the name William Provine? William Provine. Maybe not very many, if any. He was a professor of the history of the philosophy of science and the biological sciences at Cornell University. And he passed away in 2015. And Dr. Provine was was well known by both secular and Christian scholars because for years he went to great lengths to disprove the existence of God. Provine was very open about the fact that he did not believe that God exists and was also well known for painting a very dim picture of existence as a result. Because he denied the existence of God, he consistently worked that belief to its logical end and he also denied any real meaning, deep meaning to human life. He once summed up life in this way. He said, we live, we die, and we're gone. We're absolutely gone when we die. Pretty dim, right? That kind of language is expected from an atheist professor at an Ivy League school, liberal university, right? What's surprising is when we hear this type of language or similar language from the religious community. Believe it or not, there were many so-called churches, I use that term loosely, churches in name only, who hosted Provine and, and others like him to come and share his thoughts on God and purpose and ethics from their pulpits. There was one church, in name only again, who corrected Provine when he says, when you die, you are completely dead. They said, we, we want to correct you. We like to say it in this way. When you die, you are dead, dead, dead. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You may wonder where I'm going with this. I'll tell you. Okay, Believe it or not, there were churches in Paul's day Churches started by the Apostle Paul, who who had been influenced by the godless philosophers and teachers of their day. And Corinth was one of these churches. For the next two weeks for Easter before we get into the book of Judges, so you get ready for that, all right? We're going to have fun in Judges. But for Easter, we are going to be studying an important chapter from Paul's first epistle 
to the Christians at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In this great chapter on the resurrection, Paul is writing about the fact that death is not permanent. It was not permanent for, for God's Son and is not permanent for all of those who are in Christ. We are going to be studying what Jesus' resurrection meant for the Christians at Corinth and what it means for us as believers today and why Paul is writing about resurrection in 1 Corinthians in a letter. That's a bit unique. You normally read about it in, in, the, in the Gospels in detail, but Paul's talking about it in 1 Corinthians, so we're going to talk about why that is, all right? We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 49 this morning. Last Easter, we covered verses 1 through 34 in two Sundays, okay? So better late than never to return back to uh, this chapter. We're going to look at the latter half of the chapter in the next two weeks. Paul, we've established, he's the author of 1 Corinthians. This letter is written because the Christians at Corinth were messed up. This was one messy, messed up church. For those who say, I wish the church could get back to the way it was in the first century, surely you don't mean Corinth, okay? Let's not strive to be like Corinth, all right? They had issues. They had division in the church. There was issues when it came to immorality. They also struggled with doctrinal issues. For example, there, there was a, a group of Christians who reasoned in this way, in the way Dr. Provine and others have reasoned, at least when it comes to the body. They believed that death for the body was permanent for a believer. They believed that when one dies, their body, at least, is dead, dead, dead physically dead, for good. Now, they believed in Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. Paul's going to work with that, with their belief there. But they believed that that was unique and, and unrelated to them, that Jesus was the exception. While they believed in some sort of future spiritual existence with God, they believed what happened to Christ was unrelated to them. They denied the future physical and bodily resurrection of the godly. They were allowing themselves to be influenced by the outside and unbelieving world, which unfortunately the church falls prey to today, right? That's the reason for my prayer earlier, that we would come to this place and be redirected to what's right and true because we've spent the entire week in a world that's set apart from and opposed to God. There were a group of believers in this church who had adopted the Greek philosophy that taught that all matter is evil. Everything in the material world is bad, and everything in the spiritual world is good. That's what many Greeks believed. They taught that one's body is bad, one's spirit is good, and because this was their worldview, they believed that when one's physical body died, it, the material body, it, it, it rotted away for, for good, while their good, clean spirit remained in the Corinthians had been greatly influenced by this and they're questioning Paul in this belief because they knew where Paul stood. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, knowing this is where they are doctrinally, he makes a detailed and thorough argument in favor of the physical and bodily resurrection of Christ and of his people. 
He really does that in the first 34 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 1 through 11, he gives evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Okay, In verses 12 through 34, he explains the importance of it. And he shows them that what's true of Christ is true of you. If it's not true of you, it wasn't true of Christ. And then you've got a whole host of problems if Christ is not raised. And Paul lays those out. And then he says there is this seamless connection between you and Jesus. You are trusting in him alone for your salvation. What's true of him is true of you. And that's really the point he's driving home here. And the question he asks here in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, look at it. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised, they were proclaiming that. We believe he was raised. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? What's true of him is true of you. Then Paul opens up this argument to show them what this future resurrection is going to look like. And, and that's, that's where we're going to go, really into the heart of this this argument and we're going to look at it for ourselves as well what christ resurrection means for us i think that's a good place to turn this time of year when we're focused on the resurrection what does it mean for us and we're going to talk about that paul talks about that in the second half of the book of first corinthians paul is addressing for the most part questions that they have sent to him They've sent him a list of questions. They ask him a wide range of things. This will help you when you're reading the book of 1 Corinthians to realize this. Paul's just addressing questions, sort of like I do sometimes. Ron does in our office when people come in with theological questions. They'll ask them, and then we'll go back and forth, okay? And, and that's what Paul is doing here in the latter half of, of this, of this uh, book. And he's discussing a wide range of things. They ask him questions about relationships and about Christian liberty and about the roles of men and women, about the spiritual gifts. Y'all would love for me to get into those. Not today. And they had apparently sent him a question or two about the resurrection. And with these questions, some of these questions, they already had their mind made up. You ever have somebody approach you in that way? They kind of ask the question, but they're baiting you in. They've got their mind made up, and they're looking for a fight, looking for an argument. They're doing that with Paul. And they're sort of making a mockery of certain things that he believed. And Paul knows this is where they're going. In verse 35, he addresses one of their questions. He says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised, Paul? With what kind of body do they come? Notice the quotations. And his harsh response in verse 36 implies that these questions were being asked by sarcastic skeptics rather than honest doubters. They were like, what, what future do we have with a rotting, stinking, decaying corpse? We've seen the body waste away, Paul. That sounds ridiculous. With what kind of body will they come? Man, Paul's sharp on a lot of things, but he's off his rocker on this one. He knew what Paul believed. Notice Paul's response. I, I like it. I don't suggest do it, uh, but we'll leave it to Paul to do. Verse 36, you foolish person, you fools. Why so harsh? They didn't understand the first thing about the resurrection. 
They really were asking questions above their pay grade, what they had an understanding of. It, it reminds me of, of the question asked today by certain skeptics, if God exists and he created all that is, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there death? They think that the problem of evil is a problem with God, but it's not a problem with God, it's a problem with them, right? God has answered this. And when a person is asking that question, they're showing they don't really know what the Bible teaches about sin and its effects. We've sinned. The world has been ruined and wrecked by sin. That's the reason why. God answers that from the very beginning. First chapter. There are many things the Christians at Corinth need to understand about the resurrection that they are in the dark about. One was, what, what, these bodies, they're wasting away, Paul. How can these bodies live forever? Well, Paul answers it simply. Point number one, your future body will be unique and remarkable. Don't think of it in terms of your body now, but think of it in terms of, of a new creation, a, a unique and remarkable body made for glory. Look at the end of verse 36 and end of verse 37. Paul says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Now, some of you might have read this this past week or just now and probably thinking, what on earth is Paul talking about here? What's he talking about? I mean, he's talking about sowing and bearing kernels and wheat. What, what's he talking about? Well, he's using an illustration, okay? And this illustration is as clear as any Paul gives, especially to an agrarian people as he was writing to in this day. He, he's basically saying here, look, you should have no uh, more trouble with understanding the resurrection than you do with understanding the concept of harvest. He says, when you go out and sow a seed, it first goes into the ground, right? And then the plant that comes from that seed, it looks different, but it's from that seed, correct? Those of y'all that plant, y'all know how that works, right? It has a unique look as God has determined, but it still comes from that seed. Bruce Barton explains it in this way in the Life Application Commentary. Look at this quote up on the screen. A seed placed in the ground doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. The plant that grows looks different from the seed because God gives it a new body. Just as a dry little seed, such as a seed of wheat, doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first, so new bodies will not be obtained until the earthly bodies have died, and those new bodies will be different from the present bodies. That's what Paul's saying there. Really, really practical, right? We can wrap our minds around that. Paul says, same will be true of, of us. He explains that this body is aging and deteriorating. I'm feeling it. I've felt it in the past few months. It's going to one day go into the grave. But he also tells us there's coming a day when our bodies are going to burst forth from the grave in, in, in a physical, bodily sense. And while we'll be us... Right? The way God created us will be existing in a unique and more glorious way. Well-known theologian once said this, the graveyards of man will become the seed plots of resurrection. Don't you love that? I, I knew of uh, one theologian who lost his wife to cancer. 
and he had a, a, uh, something written on the plaque that said, the place where she will rise. I love that. Don't you love that? That's what Paul's saying here. Look at verse 38. Paul says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So there's a uniqueness there, right? A difference there. Paul makes an important yet basic point. He assures the, the, the Christians at Corinth and in verses 36 and 37 that this, this entire process, and in verse 38, this entire process, it's in God's hands, right? At first, they were, they were thinking about the bodies that we have right now and how ridiculous that, that sounds. What use do we have with a rotting and decaying body? How does that work? And after going into some explanation, uh, Paul saying our bodies will be unique and remarkable, there are more questions that he addresses. I think probably that were asked of the Apostle Paul. I think he's addressing more questions. We're not told that specifically, but he, he addresses some more questions here. What will be different? How will we be different, Paul? Will he renew the old? Will he, will he make new from scratch? He's anticipating these types of questions, and he assures them that this process is in God's hands. It will be accomplished by him. Our new resurrected bodies will be bodies that God will give us. Look at verses 39 through 41. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for animals, another for uh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Many of the Corinthians were wondering how this resurrection is possible and probably wondering how we could have a different body, right? They were thinking of their old bodies. Your bodies will be unique and, and, and glorious and, and, and new, right, and remarkable. And how, how is God going to give us new bodies? How is he going to make us unique to what we already are and to one another? And in this passage, Paul shows the incredible creativity of our God. He shows the Corinthians here, you need to have a bigger view of God than what you got. God has made all kinds of bodies. Celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, human bodies, animal bodies. Bodies made for land, bodies made for air, bodies made for the sea. Paul says, don't you dare limit God. He can do anything he so chooses, he's God. Like Paul says in verse 38, God can give anybody, anybody he chooses. He doesn't operate on an assembly line. He's not tied to any old model, is he? In verses 40 and 41, Paul continues to show God's creativity by describing the uniqueness of of earthly bodies like mountains and canyons and oceans and heavenly bodies like the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and, and he explains how they're all uh, different yet remarkable. I know y'all have noticed this. We watch birds in our backyard and how they're all different and different colors. And, and it's just it's amazing within one species and then, and then uh, all, the, all the different species and how they're unique and remarkable. 
God has limitless capabilities. He can do anything He pleases. No limits there. Paul goes on to say in verse 42, get this, here, here it comes back to us. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. It's pretty clear what Paul's saying, right? God has made you and me unique and extraordinary and will one day raise us up to a different kind, a better kind of remarkable. I mean, look around the room right now and behold the creativity of our God, right? And he's not done. He's not done. That's what Paul is saying. There is a future transformation of you that will be unique to you. Paul's just putting these guys in their place. And he says, if you knew anything about the resurrection, you would know that your future bodies will be unique and remarkable. Second, Paul says this, because they were viewing the bodies as wasting away, right? The material world is wasting away and there's no good in it. So how can this body last, right, forever? Paul says, point number two, your future body will be new and improved. Amen, right? I expected more amens out of that one. Your future body will be new and improved. Look at the second half of verse 42 and verse 43. Paul says, what is sown... Think about it going into the ground, right? Perishing. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Notice the contrast here. Sown perishable, raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. First Paul says that our present bodies, they're falling apart. Some of you realize this more than others. And for those of you young folks in here, you'll realize it soon enough. I thought I was invincible too. But we learn as we get older. Our eyes don't work the way that they used to, right? Minds don't work the way they, that they used to. Our ears don't work the way that they used to. Our limbs don't work the way that they used to. And there will come a day if the Lord delays His coming when we're all going to take a dirt nap. We're all going to die someday, and that someday might be today. We don't know. Scripture leaves that uncertain for us, but tells us the certainty of, of the fact that it's coming, just not the certainty of when. While that happens, there is also coming a day when God is going to raise us up, believers, to an imperishable and eternal state. Paul says what is buried in dishonor is raised in glory. When God created man, he made himself visible through him. He, he created man and woman in his likeness, in his image, but you and I know that that image, believers, has been marred and disfigured by sin. But while God's image has been tainted, he has made a way for us to be restored through Jesus. And he tells us in his word that if we trust in his son alone for salvation, there is coming a day when our bodies are going to come up out of the grave in glory. Raised in honor. What a day that'll be. Sown in weakness, raised in power. We are reminded of our limitations on a daily basis, right? We are victimized 
by the world around us. I realized that back in 2010 when we, when we drove through the pine curtain deep into the piney woods. I had allergies before I came here. But boy, it got a bazillion times worse after moving here. I, I couldn't live here and be able to communicate each and every week if I didn't get allergy shots every week. We're, we're victimized by, by the world around us, right? We're weak, yet Paul says we'll be raised in power. The limitations we have today will be non-existent in the life to come. That should cause you to rejoice this time of year as you think about Christ's resurrection. We're going to spend time next week in verses 50 through 58 just talking about how we should praise God for, for all of these different uh, truths that are true of us because they're true of Christ. Scripture is clear that God is going to one day restore things back to the way they were but better forever. And that includes our bodies. Our future bodies will be new and improved. They'll be eternal and powerful. Look at verse 44. Paul says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay? Again, he's, he's showing what the grave reveals about our bodies. The fact that we die reveals that that, of course, the world is broken, right? But also that we're, we're natural. He has, he has already explained to us that the grave shows that we're perishable and, and weak. And here in verse 44, Paul shows the grave reveals that we are, are natural. This body is, is suited for this life and this life only, yet our spiritual bodies that God will, will, will raise up at the last day, they'll be suited for the next life. And that day, our, our new bodies will be fit for a new kind of life, a new level of life, a new dimension of life, a, a new dimension of existence far beyond anything that we have experienced. Now, we don't know the ins and outs of all that. Paul gives us more than, than, than most that we could gather in, in Scripture, and it's, it's pretty awesome to look at. But we still don't know the ins and outs of all that. We just know that it's going to be good. It's going to be incredible, right? In verses 45 through 47, Paul ends this passage by explaining this point further of our, our natural and spiritual life, of, of how our natural life is sown and how, we, how and why we will be raised to a spiritual existence with God. He explains that what what happened through the first Adam and what happened through the last Adam. Look at it with me. Beginning in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Adam came first, right? Was created, and then the spiritual. Christ took on flesh and, and, and lived and died and rose again for us. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth. A man of dust, the second man is from heaven. So here's Paul's point. First, he explains that when Adam was born, he was given a natural body. While he was without sin, initially he was not glorified. He was in a trial state. His body that he had, it was fashioned for this world. 
It was natural. It was of the dust. It was, it was earthy. And when he sinned against God, he brought on all of these other limitations as well that we discussed in verses 42 through 43 that come as a result of living in a fallen world. But notice what Paul says in the second half of each of these verses. He, he makes the contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam, the last Adam being Jesus. He says the last Adam, however, became a life-giving spirit. The second man is from heaven. While the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. His point here is that whereas Adam was created with the natural body, Jesus was raised with a spiritual one. Adam is tied to the earth. Christ is tied to heaven. Who are you tied to? That's where we're going. Hughes and Laney from the Tyndale Concise Bible Commentary says this, Adam, the first man, was a source of physical life for all men. Christ, the last Adam, is a source of spiritual life for all who believe. Verses 48 and 49. That's what Paul's talking about here. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Very, very simple. What's true of Adam is true of us. Remember, we are in Adam by birth, right? Yes? You with me? Therefore, what Adam had, we have. He was a man of dust, so are we. He was natural, so are we. Because of sin, perishable and weak, so are we. While that's the case, get this, believers, what's true of Christ is true of us as well. Just like we're tied to Adam through birth, we are tied to Jesus by faith. Therefore, we are not only of the dust, but we are also of heaven because of our connection with the one who came from heaven. Amen? From the earth, natural, earthy, through Adam, by birth, but also heaven because of Christ who came from heaven if we're trusting in him by, by faith. Because of our connection to and relationship with Christ, we have ties to heaven. Verse 49, we are also guaranteed a future existence like his, a future body like his, one that is imperishable and heavenly and honorable and powerful and glorious. Airtight argument against the Corinthians there, right? One more quote, then we'll wrap up. D.A. Carson. The first man became a living being according to Genesis 2-7 and the last Adam, Christ, a life-giving spirit. Adam's descendants share his nature, while those who are of heaven share Christ's. Just as Christians share the likeness of Adam, so they shall bear the likeness of Christ. For the Christian, there is a guaranteed continuity of existence with the resurrection of his or her body and its transformation into the very likeness of Christ. That is, in a nutshell, the argument that Paul is making to the Christians at Corinth. In Adam, 
We are earthy and have a natural body in Christ. We are heavenly and have a spiritual body. He's put them in their place, right? He straightened them out. They were being influenced by the philosophies of their day. In church, we can be as well, right? That's the reason for us coming here to be redirected to what God's Word teaches. We believe in that old Reformation principle in the Latin. It is sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Scripture alone is our sole authority. There are other authorities in this life, but the Word of God is the authority by which all those other authorities are measured. What we hear out there, we come in here to hear what God has to say about it. And we go with God and His Word. Always. I'm under the authority of His Word. We all are, right? And we measure all our other authorities by that. And Paul is, is, is teaching the churches in the first century this very thing. And it hasn't changed today. When they're questioning the resurrection, he reminds them what Scripture teaches. What's true of Christ is true of you, right? What's true of Adam is true of you by birth. What's true of Christ is true of you by faith. He is the resurrection and the life. We who believe in him live even though we die. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Because of Christ. What kind of bodies are we going to have? New and improved, imperishable and pure bodies, just like Jesus. Believers, we need to live with this truth in mind. We are so attached to our bodies at present, aren't we? I've been guilty of it. I want to be like I used to be. I want to have the energy I used to have, all of those things, right? And we, we try to take things and do things and diet to... To, to feel good and feel like we used to. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me say that, but listen. We are so attached to this body and we put all our time and effort into looking like we once did instead of living with that future and final day in mind and striving to become more like we're going to be. That's what we're to be doing. When John talks about that future hope, when Christ returns in 1 John 3... He says, everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be pursuing godliness. We're to be living today with that future and final day in mind. We're to be pursuing godliness, chasing after what we're going to be like in Christ. And we're to long for that day, believers, when we will be raised to be like him and be with him for all eternity. Every time we experience limitations in this life, our mind should go to that day in the hope that we have in Jesus. And we should praise him for it, and we should long for it, look forward to it, and point other believers in that direction. You're here this morning, you're listening online, and you don't have this hope because you're still connected with the earthy man, the man from the dust, Adam, rather than being connected to the heavenly man, the man from above, Jesus. I pray your allegiances change this morning. I pray that you move from living for yourself to living for our Lord, that you move from self to the Savior this morning. Listen, Jesus, he, he lived and he died and was raised so that you could do likewise.
if you would turn from your sin, if you would turn from your life that is apart from and opposed to God and trusting Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, you can have this, this future hope, spiritual and physical, eternal, abundant life with God forever. You can possess this this hope, you can have this hope of being raised to be like Him and to live with Him for all eternity if you would turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ alone. I pray that you would today if you have not. Let's pray together.